podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show College Days. Me, Ben Isaacs, getting you set on the key prospects currently plying their trade in the college system, but heading to the NFL and a team near you very, very soon. In fact, Ben Isaacs, we think, to the most part, the players we're looking at in the 2022 NFL draft. So who are we looking at today? Well, do you know what? When we were when we were working on the radio on your talk sports show on Sunday nights, I was running through the inactives and there were mm. so many key wide receivers who were missing time that day. Mm. And me, it felt we've got to talk about the wide receivers who were coming up. Um, in a weird way, one of the most important positions on a team's depth chart right now is their number two wide receiver. Mm. Everyone's got to have a really good guy at number one. You have problems if you don't have a really good number one. But if you've got a really good number two, the options that are open to you are just so much wider. If if you if you decide, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna dub, we're gonna get double coverage on wide receiver one, and wide receiver two is constantly facing single coverage and can beat his man on a regular basis. Mm. The team's gonna get torched. So it's it's imperative that you have two really good wide receivers minimum. It can't it can't just be the old days of like we've got one really good guy. And someone who's okay. We you got need Megatron and everyone else. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, okay. We're going to look at five prospects in just a moment that you think we should be keeping our eyes on. And as I said at the top, we expect to go high in the draft. Uh, certainly, the majority of them uh, high-profile picks in the, in the 2022 draft. Before we look at individuals, though, I want to look more broadly at the position, the uh, transition from the college game to the pro something you and i talked about mm. a lot over the years in regards to lots of different positions and, and lots of different facets to to the connection between the college game and the pros and therefore how easy or otherwise it is to acclimatize as a, a specific positional player to, to the pros so where are we now with wide receiver because back in the day of course the the convention was it's very hard to find a receiver that is going to hit the ground running and it's going to be uh, at home and certainly prolific and productive early on in their NFL careers. But that is quite obviously, given all the examples we could throw out there, changing quite significantly. Is that down primarily, Ben, to, to your contention, long-held contention, that the NFL offensively has gone through such a fundamental change in the last five, seven years that it is more straightforward than ever for a receiver to get into the groove because they're so familiar with what they're being asked to do. Yeah, 100%. The The NFL game and the college game, at least in terms of kind of passing attacks, are now very, very similar. And that isn't because college has copied the NFL. It's the other way around. Where, where college has led in terms of offensive innovation, the NFL has followed. Now, college teams have often had to do that because of an imbalanced roster where they may just have, they may have absolute burners at wide receiver and they decide we've just got to be we've got to have a pass happy offense um that completely relies on that and no nfl team does that quite the same but a lot of those fundamentals have carried over so what you're seeing now is that wide receivers who are getting so many targets um, per game in college are almost ready made that they are they are drafted 
and they can they fit right in as a one or two wide receiver or in the slot and are contributing massively straight away that learning the ropes does not take that long the playbooks are sort of similar they're running the same sort of routes like i don't think i don't think we're going to see many i I always think of like the statistically i'm not 100 sure if it's the one but in terms of impact the greatest rookie wide receiver season was randy moss and it looked like he had been playing that position in the nfl for a decade when he was doing it and we haven't seen anyone do anything quite like that but that was so shocking the way that he came in and it was him and chris carter and they just blew up the league so many of these wide receivers now that i think if they if if you had a version of say i'm going to say chris alave ohio state right now if you put him back in time and you put him in that draft that randy moss was taken he might have a season similar to that because people were just not expecting it people coverages were different so these guys are close to ready-made there'll always be ones that struggle a bit whether it's the place they're drafted or they have some injury issues but unlike with a quarterback where you feel like right they're really gonna have to take time to bed in most of the time these wide receivers that shouldn't be the case well i want to on that point i want to drill down a little bit more because it's something that again we talk about a lot on the show and i think i and mike and i were talking about it only this week looking at rookie quarterbacks in the nfl and the pressure on teams to play them straight away, uh, often mistakenly so, and the pressure on the players to perform straight away, even though we know that, by and large, every quarterback ever has a bad rookie season, right? And Mm -hmm. there are a few exceptions to that rule, and uh, we were particularly concentrating on Justin Herbert, I think, and he has maybe put the onus on everybody else to to deliver accordingly. I mean, he's a great example, I guess, of uh, if you look at him, uh, and his season last year and Tua's season, the uh, issue that Tua was facing or the issues that Tua was facing, pretty typical for a rookie quarterback uh, by and large. But in light of the success of a player drafted around him, well, are we sure Tua is the right guy for Miami? The narrative runs. So you got to deliver straight away, even if we know that's not a rational and logical perspective to, to, to apply. Is that starting to happen with receivers as well, is what I'm getting at? Uh, yeah, so I, th- I, think, like- I think it is. They're, they're expected to hit the ground running. Running. And it doesn't, so, always, doesn't always work out that way. So no. Jerry Judy last season, and I know to your point, with Cortland Sutton out and the, therefore the coverage that Judy was facing and the extra onus on his shoulders being the number one guy last season. But nevertheless, you look at Judy or Ruggs, uh, even C.D. Lamb to a degree, right? It was, oh, they're all a bit of a bit of a disappointment compared to, say, the way uh, Jamar Chase has started this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the pressure is really on because, like I say, these are these guys at the, at the top of. If you if you take a wide receiver in the first round, are you expect them to be ready made? But is that they, sensible? But that, I guess that's what I'm asking because we agree that even though we know a quarterback shouldn't be the real deal from game one, from season one, everyone seems to still expect that. What's happened to Trey Lance? Why wasn't he incredible the moment he was put in? It's yeah. like, well, are you kidding me? <laughs> are we expe- even though we know it's not realistic, do you think everyone is ex- going to expect that with the receivers or is there a bit more patience? I think, um, I think the expectation that people have is, is, is reasonable, to be honest. Um, these guys should be able to fly straight away there are certain mm. there are certain positions and certain kind of skill sets where you see someone and you feel like that should be instantly translatable mm. you know you um the, you should be able to get your head around the 
the schemes enough with your physical abilities. And Jerry Judy, I was disappointed by him last year. He was my favorite receiver mm. uh, coming out last yeah. year. And I still feel that he's the most talented and he may still have the, the best career out of, that, of, out of that wide receiver class. We don't know. And you look at someone like Chase Young on the other side of the ball. Mm. I felt that everything that he did was instantly translatable and he had, he had a fantastic rookie season um, on the defensive line. With these receivers... The expectations are high and I think they should be high and they should be held to a high standard because the, the leap in terms of what they're expected to do isn't, isn't as big as on some other, on some other parts. If, you know, if, you're, if you're on the offensive line, I think it can be a hell of an adjustment. Quarterback mm. is a huge adjustment. Um, if you're in the secondary, I think that's a huge adjustment as well. With these wide receivers, one of the problems will be is that if the if the other wide receivers um, in the room are not are not up to it, and then you Come are getting on, name, name and shame. I'm not. I'm not going to name. But you know, you can, you know, you can use the process of elimination of those wide receivers we talked about who had dis- mm. who had disappointing seasons. Part of that was the coverage that they faced. Now, mm. in in college, the secondary coverage is nowhere near as good as it is in the NFL. Now, I'm kind of stating the obvious because the standard in college is obviously not going to be as good as in the NFL, but if you're but it's a say, big jump, right? It's a massive yeah, jump. Yeah. So if you're say CD lamb, then the secondary that you are facing in the NFL is just light years away from what you were facing in the big 12 yeah. where you knew, okay, I am, I am a much better athlete than anyone else. Who's going to cover me. You mm. can throw that ball up and more often than not, I'm going to come down with it no matter who's around me. It's a great and point. that's not the case now. And that presumably, uh, without knowing too much about his high school career, but that presumably is everything he's ever known. And then he suddenly gets to the NFL and it's, even though you think you're prepared for it and you think you're going to be able to deal with it, you're suddenly training session one. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is going exactly. On? And, and that will have different. been it. If you are someone like a CD lamb, you are used to being, um, you are used to having an inbuilt advantage over mm. everyone you face mm-hmm. from probably when he was playing like Pop Warner and Pee Wee football through to high school, through to college. He always had that advantage. And also in the system that, that Oklahoma had, he had other talent around him. So it wasn't just like a CD Lamb show. Everyone, everyone has to cover him. By the way, I'd the, love to see the CD Lamb show. Oh, I would watch that. What, I'd watch that. And what you know, we talking about, would it be <laughs> yeah. like kind of MTV? <laughs> <laughs> reality star show would it be a sitcom maybe would it be cd lamb plays himself but in a scripted sitcom format or in a very meta sitcom i would i would like yeah. that i would like yeah. I, I think there are so many there are so many great personalities in the nfl cd lamb is a cd lamb is, is an entertaining guy on and off the field give him, big time give him credit there um it's i i don't want to start disparaging um some college cornerbacks but i'm, I'm about to do it a lot of the college cornerbacks are failed wide receivers. In fact, there will be cornerbacks in the NFL who are failed wide receivers. But there are a lot of failed wide receivers who are playing at cornerback, who are good athletes, but just couldn't catch the ball mm. and had trouble with their, with their running routes. And that's the sort of people who CD Lamb would be facing more often than not. Mm-hmm. And now, if you're on, like, there are, some, there are some substandard cornerbacks in the NFL, obviously. But the sort of players that someone like C.D. Lamb is having to face, it's just such a step up. And I, this sounds like we're picking on C.D. Lamb when we're not. It's just that he's someone who we expected a bit more of 
last season as a rookie simply because of everything he showed us. Mm. You know, no one's suggesting CD Lamb is a bust. Okay, let's look at, yes, just to be clear, because we want guest spots on the CD Lamb show. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, as ourselves. Um, executive producers as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. They could take a cut, uh, take definitely a, a dip as with the executive <laughs> producer role. Uh, do we have an executive producer on this sh- on this show, on the on the, oh. on, this, on the franchise, do we have? <laughs> yes, I think Mike might have muscled into the exec producer role. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, f- I feel he is getting, uh, he is getting his cut somewhere. He's mm. big. <laughs> Mike's definitely getting, getting his taste. Yeah, he's getting his beak wet. <laughs> he's getting his beak wet. He's getting all Sopranos. Hey, he was talking about the Sopranos because he was Mike was on our. Uh, review show slightly apologies it was slightly late this week uh, uh normal service will be resumed next week uh but if you haven't listened to it yet it's out in the vault so check it out some brilliant stuff as ever from my mike uh, uh not least outside of nfl as well as told a great story about a jacket he had to buy for a an event he was going <laughs> he was going to uh, where he ended up um oh it's just vintage mike i don't want to spoil it just go and listen to it it's it's, it's brilliant uh but the sopranos came up there for which is why i made that connection all right so five, we're looking at five receiver prospects in the draft. Firstly, how, before we look at the five individually, how many do you think could go first round? How strong a receiver class is this? Um, I think it's in terms of what we've what we've seen recently, it's about average or maybe even a little bit below average. Okay, so um, the, the Judy CD Lamb draft being a yeah. grade A, this is like a B minus. Yeah, I'd say B minus is is the perfect way to describe it. Now, I. I feel that it's it's a little bit on the surface at least it's a little bit top heavy that I think if you want if you want a really good wide receiver you're going to have to go early and maybe you're going to kind of overpay mm. in terms of kind of the draft value. Right. I'm not sure how much value is going to be found lower down right now. Um those second tier guys I don't feel they've I don't I to me I don't see a second tier right now. I feel that there is a there is a B minus top tier. Mm. I'm not sure where the second tier comes from. I'm I don't see a whole lot of starters right now. I think the guys we're going to talk about today are future starters, obviously. Because mm. these are guys who at the very least have a great chance of going in the first round. Obviously, people are expecting wide receiver classes to be deep. So you don't always have to kind of go early to get someone who's going to be a starter. It might be conversely because there aren't that many really good ones that they're going to be overvalued this year because got of it got it okay makes perfect sense all right let's start with Traylon burks at arkansas who caught my eye when you you've been talking up arkansas of course on the college day show although they had a uh fall to earth i think it's fair to say <laughs> yeah uh, last weekend against georgia but they've uh they've been impressive hitherto and a big game against texas a&m of course and this guy uh, was one of the standouts in that game when I was watching it. Traylon Burks, the Arkansas receiver, spectacular one-handed grab in the in the NM game, uh, and there's far more to his game than just highlight real stuff, of course, which you would explain a little bit more. So Traylon Burks, is he the, is he the number one receiver out there? Um, you know, he's he's actually my favorite right now because of his versatility. I don't know. I I think as the season goes on, some other players will have kind of will put more highlights out there and perhaps. Mm kind of overtake him but i like his versatility so this um, is what i like about you ben the same way you were big on on judy right it's a bit like my youngest when we <laughs> went to the psg shop uh and he must have been about five and uh, i'd be getting uh both uh, my kids a psg shirt he went didn't go with this was pre messy of course but didn't go with neymar 
didn't go with the, the obvious choices. When Cavani was there at the time, went with Rabio. Wow. Harris born Adrian Rabia, no longer of PSG, of course. So that no. show didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> That's collector's item now. Collector's item now. And that, you're the same, Ben. You will take the the left field, more, more discerning approach, Mess. Um, maybe I'm just a bit weird. You know, maybe I just kind of I'm I'm just watching these games in a in a weird way, but that's that's what <laughs> I enjoy. I mean, I'm I'm you know I especially enjoy drilling down on the on the quarterbacks, but you can't you can't concentrate on a quarterback without seeing the wide receivers. Um, and Traylon Burke, he he's lined up everywhere mm. for Arkansas. Um, he's kind of done some H back stuff. He's he's kind of a sort of hybrid guy. He's not he's not always in the slot. He's not always on the perimeter. He does a, he does a bit of everything. Um, he's got. He's got a really good kind of, I was going to say he's got a really good body. People will know what I mean. I was going to say, he's, he's got a good motor. He's got, uh, yeah, a, good, I mean, he's got a good engine. He, he, has, he has got a good engine. But his, his, perhaps my favorite thing is the way that he can get away from cornerbacks with his mm. kind of, with his, with his body Burst. movement, where he can just kind of, he can make a little feint and uh, then go and, go and go past them. And, you know, he's, it's, when when you watch his highlights, bear in mind he's playing in the SEC. Mm. Those defenses are better. Now, it's in the old days, I say the old days, we're going back like five years. <laughs> in the old days, the SEC, the, the defenses were even stronger. There's now no conference where I would say that's where the defenses are strong or weak. It seems to have evened out a little bit. So joining those points up, those points being what we were talking about near the top of the show and acclimatization, is that something... Inevitably, front officers are going to look at it, but how much do they look at the caliber of opposition when it comes to the receiver position? Because we've talked about it a lot with quarterbacks, right? You talk about, well, Zach Wilson was at BYU, so the level of opponent he was facing was different and didn't seem to stop him. Certainly didn't stop the Jets taking him second overall, but it was something that was brought up as a concern, presumably the same with receivers, right? And the, the caliber of opposition they're playing. Yeah, because when it's, um, you know, when you're looking at the, um, when you're looking at the quarterback, um, so yeah, let's say Zach Wilson. Um, I felt he faced a very weak schedule last year. And then let's look at Patrick Mahomes when he was at Texas Tech. Now he played a stronger schedule, mm. but the defenses that he faced in the Big 12 at that time mm-hmm. were atrocious. The, that whole league was notorious for like defense is optional and quarterbacks can get away with murder. Mm. You can just do anything. So it's difficult to assess in those situations how much of it is on the defense and the scheme that that's why the quarterback's putting up those numbers. When you've got wide receivers, you're able to see far more kind of one-to-one battles. Mm. Like you can on the on the offensive and defensive line, if you see that they're going up against a particular player for the bulk of a game, how do they compare with that person? How do they deal with that skill set? When you look at players... For example, in the SEC, you expect the players they are, do, they are up against in one-on-one battles to be stronger mm. so that you can have a little bit more confidence. But also it's – so with Arkansas, they've had a really good season. We're going to talk about their next game later on, which will be interesting. When you look at, say, the Alabama wide receivers, yes, they're facing SEC teams. But part of the reason the SEC is so strong is because Alabama is in it. And Alabama is the one team that never has to play Alabama on a Saturday. They've only got to play them in, in training. So when, you've, when you're Alabama, sometimes it's, well, are any of these players in the secondary as good as the players that they're facing in practice during the week? Mm-hmm. And that can, be, that can be a tougher assessment. But yes, 100%, because of those one, one-on-one battles, you are able to assess in potentially a more 
accurate way. And I, I really like the way that he has tormented uh, players in the secondary Great all way. season. A little kind Great of stutter way. step, Great changes way. direction. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. Okay, so is Garrett Wilson. So we'll go to Garrett Wilson next. Uh, Ohio State receiver, of course. If uh, Traylon Burks has got the, that those smarts and that ability to juke and jink and uh, leave his defender in the dust as a result, what's Garrett Wilson's party piece? What would you say is his key attribute? Um, I would say it's his initial... His initial kind of speed off the line in, in the in the slot position, mm. in terms of just quickly getting that separation, getting the ball. He's a he's. This sounds like something. Well, yeah, you'd want this. But he's just really good at catching the ball, just getting himself out there, catching the ball. Um, he's not. He's nowhere near as physical as some of the other guys. That um, it it feels like if it's a contested catch, he might get kind of bullied off the ball a little bit mm. but most of the time it's not a contested catch with him because he's getting himself open very very quickly getting the ball and then creating some separation once he's once he's got it but like they've put him in kind of on vertical routes before and he's been really good but i prefer him when it's kind of a, a more shallow cross from the slot coming across the center if 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 you've got a linebacker on him he's he's going to make he's going to make that catch and he's going to get some yards after the catch as well. He's got a fan in Terry McLaurin, the Washington receiver. He says he can very much uh, uh, see him at the next level. I think he'll translate really well to the slot in the NFL. There we go. McLaurin said, but yeah, he can I, also play outside. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. I, my, I, I think whoever drafts him is going to consider him to be an absolute gem in the slot mm. position rather than play him outside. Got it. Okay. What about his partner in crime, Chris Alave, who you mentioned uh, in passing a little bit earlier on? Yeah, Chris Alave gets much more of the um, much more of the publicity. Mm. He's been he's been the glamour guy. He's been the person who was uh, really helping uh, Justin Fields last season. Um, he is someone who, when he is drafted, he will be expect he will be expected to be like the guy mm. there. Um, once again, he is someone who has done some stuff in the slot, but. You can you can just send him vertical. He's got the speed. He's a very very intelligent player. Everyone says he just picks up new plays so quickly. Um, his roots are so crisp. He seems to be always exactly where he needs to be. Um, you know, Ohio State's offense hasn't been great this season. The, the drop off after Justin Fields was drafted has been bigger than expected. But Chris Olave has still been absolutely fantastic helped helped by the fact he's got garrett wilson there right. as well right um he's not been spectacular this year because ohio state haven't been spectacular but he, teams will have so much tape of him from this season and last season and just that that crisp route running is going to have them kind of foaming at the mouth they're going to absolutely love it they'll feel that he's so coachable mm-hmm. and he can do whatever they need him to do he sounds like a lock, a first round lock. Uh, yes. Next up, uh, I think the college football player, and you might correct me here, Ben, but the college football player who whose name is most likely to appear in a daytime American soap. 
Uh, John uh, Mechie the third. Wait a minute. Maybe there are two of them in the draft class because John Mechie the third could own some kind of large um, industry agnostic corporate conglomerate. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're thinking of Drake London. I'm going Drake yeah. London. Uh, there were there were some there were some nice little there were some nice little names. And the thing is, is that if there's if there's any school that you're going to go to where you're going to end up you know as the as the star of a tv show you're going to go to usc well, like like drake london like drake london does um now he's a he's a big guy he is he's like six five i think six six he's got like the out of all these guys has the the largest wingspan i think you know so we're talking kind of how how wide his arms can go um he catches pretty much everything in a contested catch that's what i like about him he is powerful even when he's got a couple of guys on him he seems to be able to make those catches mm. usc have not been good this year um that's you know i I'll could i could be, I, yeah i could be i could be saying that um every season at the moment should we they just are... record that and drop it every season <laughs> yeah for the next five years yeah and usc prove us wrong Stop mm. underachieving. You should be one of the top five universities in America in college football, and you seem to be poor every year. He's a basketball um, player, isn't he, Drake London? Yeah, and there's... What, has he been out now? Or how, how many... Sorry, I'm going to ask five questions at Go once. Go on. i allow you to answer any of them. Um, but he played, from what I can understand, he was a basketball player in high school, but also played some college ball for, for USC. Does that happen regularly? Presumably at some point, as you get into your college career, you gotta you got to give up one or the other right you have to choose yeah you do um it's um it seems less common now there used to be quite a few wide receivers and tight ends who were doing this and some Mm. some would really push their luck in terms of how many years they would play both sports and Mm. i think when you're doing that with both sports you're letting yourself something's got to give you can't be you can't reach your potential in either if you're trying to if you're trying to do that like i keep thinking of um Charlie Ward, who won the Heisman Trophy um, at Florida State. I think they won the national championship. He was the star quarterback and he went to the NBA. Mm. And um, he would have had an NFL career, mm. but someone like him felt, well, do you know what? I prefer basketball. Yeah. It's, it's easier money in terms of the, the pounding your body's going to take. more money, most likely as well. Yeah. Um, Drake London, although he looks completely at home on the basketball court, he just looks more at home, terrorizing, uh, terrorizing the secondary. Just mm. he is, you know, I said about kind of um, a player getting bullied when it comes to kind of physical play. He is the one. He is the one doing the bullying. He is fast. He is strong. He is not as versatile as the other guys we've spoken about. He's not as refined as Chris Olave, but my God, he's talented and perhaps out of all the, these players, he's the one that could make the biggest leap in terms of what he can do. If he, if out of the ones that we talked about here, he had by far the best career in the NFL, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Mm. I feel he's got, he's got, he's further away from his ceiling than the others are right now. Got it. Okay. All right. He's the Trey Lance of this draft class. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, seeing as we mentioned him, let's talk John Metchie the third outside of running a faceless corporate conglomerate. Uh, he's also making a name for himself in Alabama, of course, which uh, is going to excite uh, a lot of the front offices across the NFL, uh, given how dominant that team is and how uh, effective the offense is 
is consistent year on year. Well, that same question, I guess, that every Alabama skill position uh, player seems to have to deal with. Well, no surprise that they've racked up such decent numbers in Alabama because they steamroll over everybody, pretty much everybody. So yeah. uh, that aside, tell us about John Mechie. If uh, Alave's got the biggest, sorry, not Alave, if Drake London's got the, the highest ceiling and is uh, a, a big old unit, what kind of player is John Mechie? Well, he's a skinny guy. Um, he seems a little bit more brittle. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's not like he's, he's, um, he's had massive injuries. He did have, um, he did have an ankle problem that slowed him down last season and pretty much messed up his chance of putting up a lot of really good tape last year. He's, he's got the skills. You know what you say about kind of being the head of a faceless corporation? Mm. He is very international himself. Mm. Um, he was born in Taiwan. Um, he's lived in Ghana. He was brought up uh, in Canada. Um, I think he's got a Taiwanese parent and Nigerian parent. He's been he's been all over, basically, just like just like a just like a corporation. Maybe that's what we're going to call him, the corporation, the corporation. When he when he when he comes into the NFL. If you want, get in touch with his people. Suggest it now. Just take our <laughs> gift to, to John in exchange for a couple of interviews. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we could do that, couldn't we? Um, I, you know, I like him. I like him going vertical, um, which is an easy way to play um, for Alabama because of because of the the mismatches that they have. Um, but he's he's been comfortable everywhere. Something that has surprised me, considering his physique in comparison with, say, a Drake London, is how good a blocker he's been. And he's always happy to get stuck in. And sometimes you see these skinnier wide receivers i say skinny i'm only talking comparatively but mm. these skinnier wide receivers sometimes they are not so good and not so willing they don't want to but, know but he does and maybe that's maybe that's the nick saban side that if, if you're at bama you are getting stuck in with mm. everything like it or not and i you know not every alabama player works out but i feel like if you've been recruited by nick saban and nick saban trusts you and puts you in the starting lineup constantly mm. then you've got a lot going for you he's so going to the patriots isn't he Matching. oh it would be a classic one <laughs> absolutely classic going yeah mac jones would be happy mac will like that one exactly uh and one more for the road george pickens from georgia yeah like george pickens is someone who um i i wasn't as excited about at the start of the season and maybe that's maybe that's on me that i was just like mm, maybe i was missing something but i've really i really liked him this year uh georgia have been absolutely insane this season i arguably they're the best team in the country better than alabama and they're, they're on a collision course to meet in the sec championship at the end of the season that's almost guaranteed so that'll get that'll get sorted out he is somebody who um hadn't had an injury but seems to be back to his best right now he plays everywhere he is he's perhaps the best all-rounder he's not as he's not um he's not as versatile as burks but he's perhaps the the best all-rounder he doesn't do anything any one thing absolutely spectacularly well mm. but he does everything pretty well at at worst the worst thing is his is route running like if you were to sort of overlay his with some of the others you would see that he would be deviating it wouldn't be the same each time and this is something that he's been kind of uh criticized for a little bit he's made so i i'm i'm i feel bad because i'm now focusing on on his negatives, um, there have been a few drops that shouldn't have happened. Where it feels like partly it on George Pickens. No, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to send this clip to to his people because I think it might get inside his head a little bit. Although maybe you use it as locker room locker room bulletin board material. Yeah, it's the it's 
Uh, but part of it is this um part of it is this uh tawny ACL that mm. he had. And I I feel he's very, very talented and he's someone who can make a really good impact in the NFL. But I'm I know the talent is there, but he hasn't got enough tape to be to be at the top of anyone's list right now. Mm. But I'm I wanted to talk about him because I think he's someone who when when he's really back to his best, people will be able to watch him and say like, oh yeah, mm. that's that's a first rounder. Now And I, I guess as well, going full full circle, he could be the kind of guy you could look at and think, well, he's gonna be a very, very good number two receiver for the majority of his career. He might not be the headline act, but then we need strength and depth, as you said. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Now he's he's ahead of schedule with his with his recovery. So he's going to be able to he's gonna be able to put some stuff on film that will make people say, you know, here's someone who who can start in the NFL. Here's someone who can be that number two guy, like you say. He doesn't need to be the guy. I, I feel that he's got he's got a, a very high floor compared with the others, he's got a lower ceiling. Mm. But he can be that if everything if everything goes right with his recovery, I think he will be one of the most reliable wide receivers that has been that's been drafted in the last couple of years because I feel he can there's things he can work on. And the way that Georgia are likely to finish the season, when he is kind of when he is the guy there, he is going to get so many opportunities for highlight catches and really impress. So that's that's why I wanted to mention him. He's if he's had the he's got the least impressive tape, but mm. I think there's a lot more to come for him. So if we're talking about ceilings and uh, we have done, and as we typically will do on college days, of course, the upside and ceilings. I guess Drake London is in that part of the house, that room in the house, which is light and airy and high ceilings. You got George Pickett's in the basement, but he's 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 done a lot with it, Ben. He's done a lot. He's he's, he's there's like a movie room in there. He's got a gym. It's just what it's well decked out. Yeah, and because because we've not been able to see so much of him, it's like well, I haven't been down to the basement in a while. And you go down and you're like, huh. I love what you've done with this place. I like it. This is nice. I like that 78-inch TV that's showing the CD Lamb show. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I watch yeah. that. Uh, brilliant stuff. Um, uh, one more question on that class. Who's the fastest? Who's the burner out of this lot? Um, I mean, I, I think if you put them in a foot race, I feel like it should be Alave or Drake London. Mm. Um, that's, that's a good question. They, those are the two that, in terms of game tape, are the ones that show their speed, but I'd be interested in seeing the four, four speeds of them. Um, because I think that, I think that like, you know, Traylon Burks is kind of sneaky fast mm. compared with some of the others and that his roots don't always show that off. Um, but if I was going to be just like, if I'm throwing a, a bomb to one of these players, I would probably pick Drake London. All right. Love that. <laughs> Right. Action this weekend. There's a number of games you've you picked out. Like, curiously, the Iowa-Penn State game, which is a 9 p.m. kickoff on, on Saturday, that you have dubbed the biggest game of the weekend, not on UK TV. What, what the hell's going on there, Ben? Uh, well, it's just, um, I mean, unless I'm completely wrong on this, and I don't think I am, um, it's, it's just TV rights deals. Mm. And that and this is all going to get much more complicated when the... Uh, the college playoff expands, but it's mm. that m- pretty much most of the college football is on either ESPN or Fox networks. 
And if it's on ESPN, then you are golden because every game's on ESPN player. And some of those games are on ESPN on BT Sport. BT Sport also have a deal with CBS. Now, CBS show one game per week. They show a game from the SEC each week. That game is not, that game will be on TV, but isn't on ESPN player. Mm. If a game is on Fox, then you've got a problem because it is not broadcast anywhere. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, Fox, um, Fox is in part now part of the Disney family, as is ESPN. I'm hoping that at some point that this can all get, for, for viewers in the UK, can all get wrapped up because mm. Iowa, Penn State, these teams are both ranked in the top five. They play in the Big Ten who have a deal with Fox. So some of their games are just unfortunately kept away from us. Mm. This should be... Uh, this should be a playoff eliminator. This is one of the great things about college football that at this point of the season, there's already there's already teams that are, they're playing for their lives. They're unbeaten, but they're playing for their lives. Whoever loses out of Iowa and Penn State can probably forget winning the Big Ten mm. and thus will not be considered for the for the college football playoff. Right now, Alabama and Georgia look like they've already sealed their places. They're probably going to go unbeaten in the regular season and then face each other in the SEC championship. And I think both teams will get in. Mm. So everyone is fighting pretty much for those last two spots and Iowa and Penn state they'll they've still got they'll still have teams like Ohio State and Michigan in the way but these are two very hard hard teams these are like they'll pass the ball but my god they're going to run the ball on you they are going to hit you hard and one of these teams is going to be hit right out of playoff contention you mentioned Michigan. They're in action as well uh, against Nebraska. That is a game that is on ESPN play. It's a late start uh, or an early start, depending on whichever way you cut it. Midnight 30. That's, uh, I know you're optimal. Uh, That's yeah, 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 yeah. College and I, the, balled out. But yeah, yeah ready is, for more. One more round. It's where the magic happens. And Michigan have been really good this season. I want to see if Michigan are for real. And if you look at the standings, you might just see, oh, well, Nebraska haven't been good and they haven't been good for a few years. I What? What can Michigan do against them that's going to prove anything? Well, Nebraska are actually a lot better than their record suggests. They've had a couple of close defeats. They absolutely annihilated Northwestern. They, they, they gave Oklahoma a scare. Nebraska are decent. Now, I think what we want to see from Michigan in terms of are they, are they a potential Big Ten champion, are they a potential playoff team even, mm. is they need to put they need to put a beating on Nebraska. I'm not sure they're capable of that. And that's not a criticism of Michigan because Michigan are, are definitely doing better than people expected this year. So they're able to make a statement mm. in, that, in that game uh, on Saturday night. And I think they'll win, but I don't know. I think it's going to be a close one. And it's important they do. I get it. The optics, which is that's, one of the most overused word of the, the last uh, 18 months or so. The optics uh, really, really key for Michigan uh, to turn those heads. Uh, two more. Arkansas, the aforementioned Arkansas, of course, who uh, we had bigged up, so inevitably got blown out of the water by, by Georgia. Uh, what went wrong, Ben? Um, it, a couple of things. Number one, they were missing some key players, which we knew was going to be the case. But they were playing Georgia, who were just an absolute juggernaut yeah. right now. And they're playing Ole Miss, who had been having a really good season and then got absolutely destroyed by Alabama, Alabama yeah. because it's Alabama. Right. So the only teams that have beaten these teams are the two best teams in the country. So these are perhaps the third and fourth best teams in the SEC, which okay. is, is, a, is a hell of a compliment. They're right now the third and fourth best teams. But one of these teams is going to lose. And then what happens to their season? Because... These are two teams that can be 
bigger than they are, have underachieved in recent decades, arguably. Um, but they're, they're teams that can recruit well and can be, you know, conference championship contenders when Alabama has a down year. One of them is going to lose this. We'll be on mm. a two-game losing streak, and their fans and the media are going to be like, turn on it. Here we go again. What happens to a team like this, or like both these teams, that, as you say, third and fourth in the SEC, but they're not going to make the the playoffs, right? So what's the most they can hope for? If they keep on rolling, keep on impressing and winning, obviously a a, a premium bowl game, but what's the pecking order in terms of the bowl game? Well, it is a matter of... So it it gets complicated with the bowl games now because of the way they have to be used for the playoffs, that um, two of the big bowl games, and it rotates, two will be used for... Um, the playoffs. Exactly. So the SEC, their traditional big um, bowl game was the Sugar Bowl. And if one of these teams, let's say Alabama and Georgia, both make it into the playoff and there's a Sugar Bowl available, then for one of these teams, being in that Sugar Bowl game is a massive, massive deal. And these the big bowl games to schools like Ole Miss and Arkansas. Who why been, wouldn't they? Sorry, just to jump in. Why wouldn't uh, Alabama be playing in the Sugar Bowl if they make the playoffs? Why would um, it they- just? It just depends on. The, it just depends on the rotations. Uh, okay. So it can be that you are sent somewhere else just okay. to play that as a neutral site, as in kind of from year to year. So then the Sugar uh, Bowl is available for Ole Miss and Arkansas to play. Yes. Got it. Um, so in in those years where it is simply available for the top ranked SEC team not in the playoff, mm. then that is that is a big thing because you know if you go if you go to some of these some of these places let's say you go to ohio state um and you visit and maybe you like you look around their kind of museum and all that sort of stuff you go to old miss and that sort of stuff you'll see all these pictures from old bowl games but the big bowl game so if you're in the big 10 your big bowl game is the rose bowl which was a traditional matchup between the big 10 and what is now the pac 12 and it would mean Fans from the Midwest would get to go to Pasadena, California and have a few days in the sun and play these teams. There's a big rivalry between those Midwest teams and the West Coast teams. And that's a massive, massive deal for them. So it's the same for the SEC. That Sugar Bowl is is big. So when any when any team, I'm going to call them a lower SEC team. And I basically mean by that, not Alabama and Georgia. Right. Um Playing in the Sugar Bowl is a big deal. And that's something their fans will love. They wouldn't get that many opportunities. So just you want to be, if you are one of those teams, you want to be in contention for a Sugar Bowl, at least when it's those, when it's not being used as a semifinal. So they will be focused on the bowl games, but also in terms of the coaches, every, every statement win you make not only helps you keep your job, Mm. but it helps you recruit recruit yeah. because you will say, look how close we are. Look how mm. close we are that, you know, we were playing Ole Miss, we were playing Arkansas and we beat them. You know, we are just one step below uh, Georgia and Alabama. We can make that leap if you come to us. And sometimes being at the very, very top, it can be a little bit, a little bit more difficult to recruit players because they might think I'm not going to play. Mm. If you can say we're a couple of players away from being a champion and you're one of those players. Mm. So this is the sort of game that those teams want to win. Like, obviously they're playing for this week and they're playing for this season, but those coaches will be looking at matches like this and thinking, how will it affect recruitment mm. in the next two or three years? 
It's kind of the Euro- having a good Europa League run. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it, which of course West Ham are going to have Ben as we were already having. Let's be let's be honest about that. Brilliant stuff, buddy. At tweets from Ben is where you can follow the big man on sw- on Twitter. Almost <laughs> almost at all social media, but of course not on TikTok yet. I'm still working on that. Mm-hmm. You are on Instagram, but you got a different handle, confusing me. Yes, I'm just Ben Isaacs on Instagram. Um, because tweets from Ben wouldn't work on Instagram. Mm, probably not. Probably need, <laughs> need work. That is true. Yeah. Uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, we will uh, hear from you soon. Next week, dropping more college days. And you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you and I rolling uh, live on Talk Sport, of course, every Sunday. Although this week we're going to be, we're not together on it because we're both going to be at Spurs. I'm doing the Jets Falcons game for Talk Sport and then the Finns Jags game for the BBC. Um, but we're going to, you're going to be at both of them, of course, as, as well. Yep. Uh, it'd be quite difficult for me to do it if I wasn't, <laughs> if I wasn't there. Uh, but we're going to try and get you on the broadcast at some point on Sunday, aren't we? So gonna try yeah, that'd, be, that'd be great. Yeah, we gotta, yeah we're uh, going to link up somewhere. We need to make that work. Anyway, when the London games are out of the way, we are rolling in studio for the Red Zone show uh, through the season. So make sure you're joining us from five o'clock every Sunday over on Talk Sport 2. College Days back next week. Enjoy the action, bud. Look after yourself. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Podcast Network.